Welcome into the House of L podcast. This is episode 51. Is this episode three of season two, I believe it is. I am Lawrence Holmes. I am your host of the podcast. Glad that you've spent some time with me today, that you're at least planning on it. I think you're going to like this week's episode. I'm looking forward to it. It's an interview that I've been looking forward to doing and a perspective that I've wanted to share in the podcast for a while. So I'm looking forward to you hearing it because it turned out about as well as, as I thought it was going to turn out. Here we are inside the new year. I'm still a little, I don't know if, if bummed is the right word, but I guess surprised about how the Bears thing ended. <laughs> All right, so you want some inside the media stuff? Let me Let me share that with you. You know how I tell you that media people usually love it when teams win? It's true. And one of the reasons is monetary. Like, for example, like my deal with NBC Sports Chicago is that I get paid as I appear. So think about it. If the Bears go to the Super Bowl, that's at least five weeks of me appearing and me getting paid. I won't tell you what the number is, but it's significant. I mean, I'm not mad. I got extra money, more money than I expected because they played the one game, which gave me the opportunity to appear a couple times last week and, of course, do the show. But still, like, that's a that's an abrupt thing. And I will tell you, like, from the guys I work with, those guys are on a whole different level because then, like, they get appearances, like, it's, it's not just what they do on air. It's when the Bears are good, people want Bears around. So you obviously can't have the guys that are playing be around while they're playing. So you get former guys that played. So that there's some money that's left on the table. So I, if, if, if those guys are bummed about it, I completely understand. So there's some behind the curtain for you. The Bears losing costs everybody money. Now, how am I going to take Panther to Belize? I can still take her to Belize. I just got to find a week where I'm not doing anything, and then we can do that. I even talked to to Jason's dad, who's down in, in Belize. And I was like, listen, we're thinking about coming to Belize. Let's go for three days. And he's like, that's not enough. I was like, oh, okay. So I got to figure out a week. I am uncomfortable with vacations in like the vacation that we had when we were in Miami for four days was perfect for me. I did two shows. I had two days to myself. It actually worked out well. It would have been better if the the station would have been closer, but they were great. I, you know, I need to write a note. I need to write a thank you note to the people down there. They were, they were really, really awesome. Wanda and Christian. They were, they were really nice to us. They let us come in. I did the show on Christmas Eve. And Miami was hopping on Christmas Eve and Christmas, by the way. I mean, I'm used to Midwest Christmases. Occasionally, we leave. And we, we went to Puerto Rico. And Puerto Rico is, like, dead on Christmas. Like, it's Arizona. Like, a little something is happening in AZ, but... In Miami, you would have thought it was just a regular day. Christmas as well. Like, I was sitting there, and I was like, well, what are we going to do for breakfast tomorrow? I'm like, do I should I get some fruit? Like, should we go to the Publix and get some stuff? And, have, and little did I know that everywhere on South Beach, you can just, it's just open. Every restaurant was like, oh, we got a breakfast special, blah, 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 blah. But still, I, I do struggle with the concept of, of not doing anything for vacation. It's going to, I really, like, ah, the, the introspection that I'm trying to share right now, I really wish that I could figure out a way to enjoy vacation without worrying. It's part of the reason, like, Panther likes to just take me away, away, so that I can't. But then I obsess about what's going to happen when I get back. So I'd rather be in a place like you can take me to Costa Rica if you want, but I'm going to spend a lot of time in the room plotting like that's just 
how it's going to go. Oh, maybe, maybe that's something I can look forward to trying to improve on in the new year. Maybe we shall see, but I digress. Anyway, this week's episode, I am, um, I'm excited for you to hear it because it's an interesting perspective on journalism and media. The idea of the, the young journalists trying to figure out what to do. Jory Perez is a journalist I came into contact with a couple years ago. And so funny, like I had forgotten like how we were connected. It's explained in, in the interview. But when we were riding the elevator up, she was like, oh, yeah, like, remember, we were at the event, and your friend, my man, Fast Willie Parker, introduced me to you, and then she reached out to me and asked me to look at her demo, and I gave her some notes, and we've stayed in contact since then. Her life, the reason that I wanted her on for, for her perspective as someone who's young in the business is one thing, because I think Jory's 24, But the other thing is that she has already lived quite the life. She has been a national anthem singer. She's a musician. She played in the lingerie football league. She was an Illini cheerleader. Like there, there's a, she was in the Miss America pageants. Like what? Like she's already done all that. And now she, she's working in front of the camera down in Louisiana and trying to figure out like how long do I stay there and what do I do and can you build a life in a market like that or do you have to keep trying to market climb it's a it's a great question it's something that my advice that I give people is be prepared to make a life in in some of these markets now, maybe not where Jory's at because it's still it's a top 100 market, but if you end up in, like, a top 50 market, you can live a great life in a top 50 market. Honestly, you can live a great life anywhere. But I'm saying that a lot of people are like, well, I'm from Chicago, so I'm trying desperately to make it back to Chicago because you have family here, and it's the things that you know and things that you love. And I've dealt with this too, N- not, not necessarily from – a professional standpoint actively, but because I've been lucky, my whole career has been in Chicago. I haven't had the, I haven't had to market jump at all. I'm in market three. I've had some overtures from LA and New York, and I'm not really that interested in covering sports in those markets unless the situation was right. Like I have a list, like Panther and I worked on a list a couple years ago when my contract was up on where I would consider going. And there's a list. I'm not going to share it, but there's a list of places that I would go. If the bottom fell out here and no one wanted to hire me, there's places that I would be interested in checking out. And now we got to add Miami to the list because hanging out in Miami, you know, Levitard has got it wired, man. (laughs) I admire that guy so much. Because he has figured out the, the the glitch in the matrix. He's got it. I walked past their studios on South Beach, and I was just sitting there going, mm-hmm. This, this is the zenith of it. You're in your hometown. Your hometown happens to be the beach in Miami. He says that he lives three blocks from their studio. The studio's at the Clevelander. And the Clevelander is a crazy club. I don't know how they pulled that off. And then their footsteps from the beach. Like I could throw a baseball from the, the, the concrete on in front of their studio to the sand on the beach. So those are things you keep in mind. Like, is that what you really want? Like, is that how you want to do it? And how many times have you, even in Chicago, been like, am I going to do another winter here? Is that is that a thing? As much as I love the city, that thought has crossed my mind. Like, another winter, huh? So far, this winter hasn't been too bad. Anyway, back to Jory. So I wanted you to hear from her, like, wh- this crazy origin story, first of all. And 
then hear what it's like for her to be a little bit of a fish out of water where she is, where she's, you know, a young white woman who's covering Grambling. Like, that's fascinating to me. And we spend some time talking about that, along with the fact that she has to cover everything. She's covering high school sports, which is big down there. She's covering Grambling. She's covering three different states from where they're they're set up. She's covering three different states. She's covering minor league hockey, baseball. She's covering the Dallas Cowboys. So there's a lot that goes into what she's doing. So I wanted to share this with you. The, the life of a young person who's trying to market climb and what it's like when you have people in the broadcasting business say, hey, you're you're probably going to start your career in a market that's different than your own. This is what this looks like. And I think that she's handling it really, really well. This is Jory Paris. She's pretty awesome. You're going to love this interview. So can you hear me? I can, yes. Oh, my God. This is a game changer to know that that, that jack works. Oh, it works. I can hear me well, too. Okay, good. <laughs> because usually you need, like, an adapter for the headphones. And knowing that I don't need an adapter. No. Is fantastic because I can wear a different pair of headphones, one that are maybe a little bit more stylish than the ones that I'm currently wearing. Which hey, is any headphone really you can't go wrong with. As long as you can hear, it's like a car. As long as it gets you from A to B. You're in good shape. I think so. Did I see that you and your dad were out running routes today? Yes. Anytime I have an opportunity to get somebody that will run routes with me, I'm there. I'm like, okay, wait, can you throw a football decently? Let's go. Because I, I miss it. You know, it's just like one of my favorite things to do is to go out there and run some routes. See, this is the thing that I wanted to talk with you about. You, you have one of the most unique origin stories. <laughs> I, and I'm glad that like when we rolled the elevator up together, like I'm glad that you cleared up because I was like, I don't remember how I met Jory. Like I know... Like, I remember looking at your demo. I remember us talking about me looking at your demo. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, how did she find me? And how did I find her? And I was like, what was the connection? I couldn't figure it out. Because you're a line, I thought, well, maybe it was Ryan Baker mm. who introduced us or Stephen Bardo that introduced us. But it was, it was Fast Willie Parker. Fast Willie Parker. Yes, I was interning with what was then Comcast Sportsnet, obviously, Chicago, now NBC Sports Chicago, a couple summers ago when I was in college. And we went to Peanut Tillman had an event. It was like some bowling event. Yes. Wherever that was. And they I was like, Can I come with? Can I tag along? You know, I was always asking to go to places. And they let me go and I did a couple stand ups and just kinda, you know, shook some hands. And I met you and Willie made sure to make a point of it and he said, you know, that's my guy. He's awesome. Keep in contact with him. He's just he knows his stuff. So Okay, good. I tried to. <laughs> and so I, I wanted to make sure that that when you sent me stuff and you were like, Could you take a make a review of it? Mm hmm. I wanted to get it to you and get it to, to you quickly because you were close to graduation down in Champaign. That's right. And you're trying to figure out, like, what are you supposed to do next? So, obviously, it's worked out. But we'll get to that. Okay? We'll get to that. The origin story is, like, like I was like, okay, she clearly wants to be in this business. But what I didn't realize was the Miss Illinois stuff. <laughs> I knew that you loved sports, but I didn't know that you had played sports on the professional level mm -hmm. and you are crazy about football. Oh, I can't, you can't get any crazier about football than being a woman. Like any of the, the girls that play in the LFL, those are the most diehard full, you know, like you don't want to tackle somebody with little padding on and learn the sport and study and film and travel and like be on a football team unless you're a hundred percent with it. 110%. So yeah, you can't have any more of a fan and just somebody that wants to be around it all the time more than me. So how did how did you fall in love with football? So this is actually kind of a funny story. When I was in high school, I approached our high school football coach as a senior, and I was like, I want to play football. I'm interested in learning. I don't want to be a kicker. Like, I want to play the sport. What do you got for me? And our senior year, our team was really good. We won state. So he was like, you know, I just I can't. We've got big boys. Like, you would just you'd get hurt. And then, so I was like, okay, well, I still am very interested in playing the sport. Like, I, I want to learn it. I want to do it. Like, I'm, I'm very strong. I was a gymnast growing up, so I always had that muscle and kind of, like, natural athletic ability. Just thought I could be good at it. And uh, I, I found the bliss. Coach Hack contacted me, you know, went to the tryout, made it. And our my rookie season, the team 
went to the championship and we won. So I got my ring and I was like, this is the best thing ever. You know, I, was, <laughs> I miss it a lot. I do. What high school? I went to Prairie Ridge High School. Okay. Oh. Yes. yes. Okay. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Well, your coach is very successful. I got a chance to call their state championship two years ago mm-hmm. that they won. So, so you found the bliss. Yes. Actually, I think, I think I knew a girl, probably all social media as it is, you know, saw something about it on social media, reached out to a girl. She told me about it and coach contacted me. It was something like that. It's kind of blurry, honestly, how it like fully happened, but I just went to the tryout, made it and the rest is history. So what was it like playing in the lingerie football league? It was amazing, honestly. And I'm, I'm a very, the first thing I say is it's, it's real. It's full tackle. It's the real sport. You know, it's seven on seven, so it's a little bit different as like a look, and we're five yards off from each other, so it's a little bit different how it's played, but it's the real deal. And when I, you know, approach Tack about it, I'll say first, going back to this, I'm a very conservative person. So the uniform for me was like, okay, this is a little weird. Like, not not me, but, you know, and every time we went to practice, we were, you know, full fully padded up and full clothes and whatever else. So the game part of it was like the one time that we're dressed up weird and, it, you know, but still kind of doing our thing with the, the real sports. So that was the only weird aspect of it for me. And now they're playing with like full pants and they're, they're changing that aspect of it, too. But the more and more you see this game, the more, you know, fans are even saying like, no, the, these girls go at it. They full tackle that we've got bruises. We've got cuts and scrapes and. They're trying to protect us now a little bit more, too. So it's it's a ride for, for, for real. When I was at Channel 5, we used to get video in mm-hmm. every now and again from the LFL. And then there was always the discussion of should we air it? You know, should we put this in a sports cast? Is this legitimate? And we used to look at the video and be like, man, these girls are vicious. Mm-hmm. Like, th- th- these are some these are real hits there. There's real physicality to it. You talked about the uniform. I always wondered, was it strange to play in because you're not used to playing in something that doesn't cover all of you? Absolutely. And it's not comfortable. No, it's definitely not comfortable, especially the bottom. So that's why I'm glad like they're bringing in the pants and the shorts and they're kind of changing that. But like the top wasn't as bad because we had like our shoulder pads. And by the time we were all padded up, elbow pads, knee pads, leg pads, like really the most of us that were uncovered was like our, you know, kind of torso down. But yeah, it's it's a lot different. I mean, you're not. But you look at sports too. Like you got track and volleyball. And sure. You, we always made that argument too. Like you see, you know, beach NFL, volleyball for sure. NFL cheerleaders. They're not wearing anything out there, and they're not getting judged for it. It's just the fact that we're playing football. That for some reason it's you know that like sexism kind of conversation. But we never saw it that way. A lot of the girls they embraced it. Like I, I'll admit too, when I was in that uniform, I felt powerful. I was like, I'm proud to be a woman. I'm proud to be strong. We're proud to be muscular. Like we're just proud to be doing something different. You know, so it, it's it's special, and I hope to see it continue to grow and to continue to be shed in a, a positive light because I think that it is a good thing for the sport and just for women in general. What positions did you play? I played, so because it was seven-on-seven, seven, I was kind of like a tight end, guard, tackle, hybrid. We kind of did a little bit of everything. And then my second season, I tried to go in a little bit at center as well, so as a lineman, <laughs> so, line woman. <laughs> yeah, but but I, I thought that, that there was some some receiver in you. Like, I thought there was some of, like, so. That tight end, right? So, like, the outside of the line, we went out and caught passes. Okay, because I, I was wondering, like, did you feel like, well, I could, I'm not a lineman. I, I'm I'm a skill position player. Mm-hmm. I, was there any of that when you were, you joined the team? Not when I first started because they kind of just looked at you and thought, like, I'm, I'm a taller, bigger kind of muscular girl. So they were like, okay, we just assumed that you'd be good on the line. And, like, when we did all the technical stuff with the bags and just learning, like, the footwork of being a lineman, like, I was just kind of naturally better at that. I wasn't great at blocking, they learned. I was kind of the Rudy of the team. I didn't play as much as some of the other girls, but I had the most heart, right? I just wanted to be there. I was like, come on, coach, put me in. And I had my one first down, and that was my my legacy there for, for that season. But yeah, I if I were to go back now, I actually would love to try to play defense. I think that I've gotten a lot better analyzing the game as a reporter, just from kind of seeing things and like the schemes of, you know, offenses and what happens and running. And, you know, I just think that my brain is kind of more wired that way and playing offense first. Right. So I'd love to maybe even play like corner or safety or linebacker or something like that. It's something that I wanted to ask you about. Do you feel like your experience in, in the LFL helps you now that you're out 
out doing this for a living as a reporter and an anchor. 110%. So that's why that was one of the things that I told my employer as well is, you know, I'm not just a reporter that has watched the game and learned the game from behind the scenes. Like I've been on the field. I know what it takes to to have a hit, get a hit. Like I've been there, done that. We've studied the game. You know, we had over 80 plays on our wristband, you know, for the offense just on the team. Like that's a lot of studying and learning of the sport. It's a level that a lot of females just don't grow up doing. You know, that's just kind of the, the reality of it. So it, it's helped me tremendously. I look at the game differently. I try to study the game differently. And I, I reach out to players too and just kind of say like, hey, you know, if I don't understand something, I'll go back to even my coach once in a while and be like, you know, can you can you tell me this or give me a different perspective of it? So it's helped a lot. The rest of your origin story is also interesting. Like, I don't want to just linger on, <laughs> on the elephant because, I mean, there's pageants in there. There is. You're a musician. Yes. <laughs> you were an Illini cheerleader. I was. For how long? So I was an Illinois cheerleader for two seasons. I did the Miss America system for two two years. And I actually, singing was kind of my my true, like, origin story. Like, singing was where it all started. I recorded some albums when I was 14 is when I started doing that and uh, went and performed all around the area, play guitar and piano. And, like, I was a recording artist for the longest time before any of the, the broadcasting kind of started, but I'd always loved sports. I was singing national anthems in sports arenas. I was the house singer at the Sears Center when I was 14. So that was kind of my, like, start of having a microphone in my hand, being in a sports arena, you know, but singing – but I think that kind of made that transition into the performing aspect even of it of, you know, I've, I've done this before. If I can sing in front of arenas, you know, I can I can talk in front of a camera. So it's kind of interesting how it all plays out. But there's always been sports and music and some sort of microphone in my hand. What's the, the, the most interesting place where you sang the anthem at? The United Center. And it was probably one of the best days of my entire life. I'm not kidding. It wasn't – it was – I think it was a college game or like a college tournament or something else going on. But I just remember – because I've talked to Jim Cornelison a few times as well, and I thought about him the whole time I was there. So I was singing, I was looking up at the championship banners, and I like even did the little hand salute, you know, at the end of it when he sings it. And I was just like, I, I didn't even realize what I was, you know, I was singing. I was just in the United Center, home, Chicago, looking up at those banners, and I was like, this is the coolest day ever. And I was 15. That's that's outstanding. It was really cool. <laughs> yeah. So how many how many anthems have you done? Ooh, I couldn't name. Can give you a number a lot. If I said a hundred, is that about right? That could be close. Yes, man, it's been a lot because I, I did it all growing up, and so anytime I mean I did it Rockford Ice Hawk, any of the Chicago Bandits, any of the teams around here, I pretty much have have sang for. What's the prep of getting ready to do an anthem like? Just a lot of like repetitions like anything else. I would sing it in my basement all the time. I'd constantly record myself and listen back to it and just the, the repetition of, you know, eventually I kind of changed how I wanted to sing it too. Like I, I listened to Whitney Houston's rendition and I was like, that's how I want to sing it. That's how I want to sound. That's my favorite. It's the best. And I'm nowhere near, no one can touch her. But I, I tried to do that more of like my last few and got some... Some really great feedback it's from that. It's a difficult song to sing. It's like an octave and a half range or something. It's one of the hardest songs to sing out there. So <laughs> it's challenging. Okay. So have you ever been nervous outside of, you know, you explaining like how awesome it was at the United Center? Outside of maybe the first couple times you did it, were you nervous in front of any crowds? Honestly, not, not because you said the first few, of course. Like my first time in an arena was like the Sears Center. And I was just kind of looking around like, this is cool. And, you know, hearing your voice in a place like that, there's kind of a weird reverb and an echo and you kind of have to get used to that. So, like, the first few times I did it there, I was probably the most nervous. But then maybe actually I sang for the Illini a few times when I was in college. And there was one where I was wearing my cheer uniform and singing at a home game for the Illini. So it was like, you know, I had all my team, all my, my, my team, my friends, like people that I knew there it was like Illinois versus Purdue. I have it on YouTube, actually. So for being nervous, it's funny that I put that one out. But uh, that was probably the one where I was like a little bit butterflies in the stomach. So I was like, a lot of people that I know are here. And, you know, this is my college. There doesn't seem to be a lot of fear in you, Jory. Thank be you. I try. <laughs> but, I, I mean, we're, we're talking about you playing football. We're talking about you singing the anthem and kind of living your life online for the portion of life where it's difficult for people to, to be online because you're growing up, you're changing, and people are mean online. So how did you overcome any type of 
fear or trepidation about being as public as you've been since you were 12, 13, 14 years old? Well, it all started, I did pageants and I started singing on stage when I was five years old. So, and I did musical theater growing up as well. So I've always been on stage and in public. And I think there's certain personality traits in a person too, where you just kind of like, you live for that and you love it, you know, and even being in, in the industry that we're in, you know, people listen to you when you're talking and, you know, you're on TV and people see you. And that's just kind of something that you either love and want or you shy away from. And I think I was just kind of born in me to, when I was five years old, to go up there and have a, a mic in my hand and not be super afraid of it. And you just kind of get more and more used to it as time goes on. What's the Miss America circuit like? It's it's great. I honestly really enjoyed it. Helped me tremendously. Just even try to polish up my my main goals were you know I just want to meet people, have fun. I, I knew that I was a lot different than probably the mold that they look for, and I think that kind of that helped in ways, but it also hurt me in ways as well because I'm you know not not super feminine, and you know I mean I played football, so that, that's something that you're going to talk to me about. But it, it helped me a lot in just trying to be more poised and like I, I wanted to help try to at least get better at, at speaking for my job and you know get a little bit better at it. the interviewing process helps with that tremendously because you go in the room and for 10 minutes they spit out questions at you so you really have to think on your feet and that's something that I wanted to to get better at for a skill just in the future with broadcasting even so there was a lot of good that came out of it you're ripped like <laughs> like you know like when when people see you I don't know if pageant contestant mm. would be that they maybe contested on American gladiators or or American ninja warrior would be something that we would think was that different than the rest of the women that that you were in, in the pageants with? Oh, yes, yes, because um, we we still had the, the swimsuit competition for, you know, when I was competing, and the girls would definitely comment, you know, and, and it was it's obvious, right? Like you said, you can't look at me and not see it. So um, they would definitely say, but they were like, that's so awesome. Like, I want to be muscular. I want to look like you. And I think that's a fad even with social media now is you see girls that, like, want to get in the gym and get ripped and get cut up and, like, be more muscular kind of looking and I think that's awesome but they definitely they were like man you look like you could hurt me and I was like that's that way I, I was like I don't want to look that way you know you can thank thank my daddy for that one I got the the genetics from my parents for sure they were both athletes so yeah but you put in the work too so where, what did your your parents play my dad played basketball at NIU and my mom was a cheerleader at NIU and she was like she always tells us you know she's like I was the the athlete of the year in high school, you know, so they, they kind of did a little bit of everything track and yeah, they've got those, those genes. And my siblings actually are more athletic than I am. I'm the least athletic in the family. So if that tells you anything, you said gymnastics, was there anything else that, that you were good at when you were younger? I tried to dabble in different things. I tried volleyball, but I wasn't very good. Um, See, I imagine some basketball coach going, hey, you, come over here. <laughs> yeah, no. Can you play basketball? No. I can drain a few threes. Okay. You know, I've got the got the arm strength, the shoulder, whatever, but no. My, my hand-eye coordination's not as, not as on par as my siblings were, so I just kind of stuck to singing, and gymnastics was 10 years of my life, so that kind of set the foundation of being strong, and then in high school, one day, they were doing, like, a strength test, and they were just kind of running through people doing bench, and I benched, like, 135, being like 15 <laughs> and they were like wait why can you just do that I was like I don't know so I, I went in the weight room and just kind of built off of it and the genetics did the rest really okay all right well I, I totally understand that that is uh that, that's fantastic so weird. so when did you make the decision you wanted to transform your love of sports into a career in sports probably right away when I transferred well, actually, when I started playing in the LFL, really, to be honest with you, because when I started playing football, I got that whole different because I was playing football while I was a cheerleader in college. So I would go from like being on the field and playing the game to being on the sidelines and cheering for, you know, U of I. And I was just like, man, I want to be in arenas. I want to be around sports the rest of my life. And if I know that's not going to be playing football or being a cheerleader necessarily. So I just want to find a way to do that. And I love talking about it. And I love just, you know, the, the analytical side of it. I don't want to just be on the on the side, you know. I, I want to talk about it and get in conversations and talk to the players and learn the stories and and be that person. So, really, in college, it's I, I knew for a while. One of the reasons that I want to talk to you outside of your bananas origin story is <laughs> being young and in this business and trying to figure out like your way in this business is something that I'm not sure that the average listener to the podcast 
understands. Like they hear the stories. Like I'm a bit of an anomaly. My whole career has been in Chicago, hmm. which is strange. That's not usually how it goes. Usually you're in other places, and if you want, you end up back in Chicago or in Philadelphia or Detroit or New York or Los Angeles. So I'd love to know what was the process like when you were trying to figure out what the right first job was for you? Well, a lot of the times I've, I reached out to many people and I tried to get as much advice as I could and just, you know, ask questions and, and hear other people's career paths. Because like you said, there are a few anomalies in there. So it's hard to be like, you know, why can't that be me? But, you know, how it goes in the growth process, like there's such a beauty in the way that I've started out. Like when I first out of college, you know, I just I sent my tape to everybody and kind of see who who bit and what happened. But I was told, you know, you usually start in a smaller market and you work your way up. And for me, once I work in Shreveport, Louisiana now, and once that job opportunity came by, I was like, okay, that's market 82. Like that's a midsize market. Like that's a really, you know, that's kind of a blessing. It's, It's a total blessing now looking at it that I even got the job there as my first job out of college. So, you know, it's a lot of like the market size kind of sizing up and, you know, where do I start? Where do I go? But if you were to tell me I was going to be in Shreveport, Louisiana, coming out of college, I was I would have told you what I said to, you know, everyone else. I was like, where? Who? Um, So I I just tried to do my best with taking the advice from people and, you know, humbling myself and going somewhere I'd never been before and no part of the, you know, part of the country I'd never seen and going into that smaller midsize market and just being like, you know what, I'm just going to I'm going to start working. I'm ready to go. And try to get this as much experience as I can. How did you go about figuring out where to live? You know, like that sort of thing when, when moving to a place that you had never really spent any real time at. I drove down. I had talked to an apartment complex just on the phone, and it was the, somebody that was a coworker had lived there. And he said, you know, it's, it's a nice place. Like I live here, you know, kind of giving me comfortable enough to be like, okay, well, maybe I should just go there and try it out. So I drove down. We went up to the leasing office and saw the place. And he was like, okay, I guess, guess this is where I'm going to go because I don't know anywhere else if, where I can go. And the pricing was okay. So I just learned from a coworker. But it is, it's hard. And like learning your way around and it's a whole different culture down there. Like it's a little bit of a culture shock being from Chicago. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a challenge, but it's been worth it. What I love watching on your social media channels is you're covering everything mm-hmm. from you covering high school to you covering Grambling to you covering the Cowboys. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think that where you're at right now is really good because it offers you the opportunity to put on your tape everything from high school to pro. Absolutely. Well, and where I'm at, too, it's considered the Arklatex. So, you know, we cover, you say everything. Like, we're covering Louisiana, Texas, and Arkansas. So we have a huge viewing area of three different states. And the Texas high school football, Louisiana high school football, just southern high school football is so dominant down there. It's unlike anything that I ever experienced being in the Midwest. And just the level and the caliber of players that are bred there is so different. You know, we got Power 5 NFL guys coming out of there. So, like, I've been spoiled being in the area that I'm at, seeing these guys, meeting these guys, and just getting a whole different perspective of, like, a young athlete and watching them grow and go to these next levels. Like, that's been so fun and such a blessing about, you know, a a smaller market. It's like, I don't feel that way at all when I'm there. I I feel like I'm just covering sports and, like, I can be at a high school game, but it's full of people. It's a stadium full of people, and it's like, I don't feel like I'm covering high school. Like, this is awesome. So, yeah, it's, it's really, Louisiana is something special. And you come from like you're talking about Prairie Ridge and Coast Shrimp like that. That is a a a high tier Illinois yes. high school football program, and you've already seen the difference between the Night Midwest and, and the South. Night and day, it's crazy. They say you know faith, family, football, those kind of cliches. Like they live, eat, and breathe it down there, but it couldn't be more accurate. It really, the people say that kind of stuff for a reason. Have you found a favorite high school program that you like to cover? Okay, so Carthage Carthage High School is in Texas, and they have, like, the most – they had, like, a 40-game winning streak going, and they lost in the semifinals this, this year. But 40-game winning streak was, like, the longest in any high school in Texas. And they just have this program, like, they have, like, college size you know, facilities, and it's just, like, when I first went there, I was like, this is a high school? You know, like, this is crazy, and just such a winning kind of program, and, like, the coach is great, but just, so when you see something like that, it's just so different from anything that I'd experienced, that it's, it, Carthage has stood out to me, and the, the players there and the athletes there have kind of been like, whoa, like, these kids are legit. <laughs> so you're a one-woman band, right? Or do oh, you yes. have a photog? 
No, we do every aspect of the job. We shoot, cut, edit, every every aspect of it. That's why my show, in the G-Men Nation this year, I did every part of it. So that was a challenge, but it was so much fun because, like, creatively, it was me. You know, I could do whatever I wanted. I could go to the team and, you know, I want to try this or do this out and test this. And I, it was all on my decisions. And my, my boss in the sports department was really, really flexible. They were just like, you know, do you. What was it like to be at a historically black college in like the the program when people talk about Grambling and the the history of Eddie Robinson and Doug Williams and everything else that has come out of that program to be an outsider and go to that program what's it what was it like well i was really excited about it for all those reasons i knew some of the history and just kind of how much pride comes from Grambling state but I had some people from the outside ask me the same question. They're like, do you ever feel out of place or weird? And I was like, you know what? That never even crossed my mind. No. The players had never treated me any differently. The coaches never treated me any differently. Like, that wasn't even a thought, you know? And, like, I never had comments or this or that when I was there. Like, I was just so enamored with the program and the players. And, like, just they had so many cool stories to tell. Like, that was never something that – I thought about, which is a, a beautiful thing in, it is. in today's time. It is. It's a beautiful thing, and it also tells me that you probably did a great service to Grambling, like in the way that you covered them, because that would have been a very easy way for someone to try to discredit your your coverage. Mm-hmm. But the fact that that didn't happen says to me that you did right by Grambling. No, I appreciate that. And I definitely, my my boss did tell me that the feedback that we got from that fan base, because even though it's maybe a smaller program, like their fan base is mighty. The Grambling fan base is so awesome. The Graham fam, they are real. And they were nothing but just wonderful towards me. They loved my stuff. Like I had a lot of people, like I became somebody that they like knew, which is was new for me. You know, like I'd go to the games and they'd call me by my first name. And I was like, whoa. I was like, wait, do you know? Like, yeah, I'm Jory. Hey, you know, so uh, they were just so welcoming, and they're like, you know, we love your stuff. Like, thank you. You know, just so appreciative of me being there and covering their kids. It was special. What did you think as a musician of watching the musicianship of the halftimes and, and all the bands that come through? Oh, my gosh. So, you know, the University of Illinois has the the original, you know, college marching band. So I was spoiled in college even with a great band. But, man, the HBCU bands and, like, the you know, the mighty – Grambling Tiger Band, like they're world famed, seeing them and what they do and their dancing and just the musicianship and like how they play. It's so different and it's so epic and awesome. I just kept telling people, I was like, I've never experienced anything like this. I couldn't get over it. I was like, they're so good and it's just so fun. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm really happy for you, Jory, because I feel like your experience is so much better than most people's like first job experience. And that's good because it's very easy to become angry about like your situation. It's a struggle. And I mean, not that you're not struggling, like you're, you're pushing yourself and you're working as hard as anybody in our business from, from what I see. But, but the fact that you seem to have landed in a place that has been very welcoming is great. And you've embraced it. Absolutely. Yes. No, I, I, I'll keep saying like, I'm very fortunate to be, at the station that I'm at, too, they've been, you know, when I was raw, when I was first starting out, they were super patient. They understood. They're like, you know, okay, you just you don't know certain things about this job. But, like, I just feel like the, in this last few months, like, is when I've really been able to, like, okay, I know what I'm doing at this point. So I can be creative and kind of do all these aspects of it. But, yes, like I said, you know, the station's been wonderful. The people have been wonderful. The opportunities have been so much more than I could have ever expected, you know, going to Shreveport, Louisiana. Like you said, I get to cover the Cowboys and do all these sorts of levels of things, and I've never once felt like I'm in a small market. So it's been really, really a wonderful first job, and I have not been in any rush to try to leave. You know, I'm I'm, I'm a year and a half in, so it's getting to that point now where I'm starting to maybe think about what's next, but um, it's been great. What was it like for you when you first walked into Texas Stadium? AT&T? Yes. Oh, my gosh. I say Texas, the AT&T Stadium. Right, Sorry. right. No, you know, um, it's so massive. I had no idea. You know, I had been to a few NFL stadiums, but, like, when I walked in there and you just kind of – I was up top in, like, the, the 400 level or whatever it is, 500 level. And you, when you look around and it was, like, jam-packed, you, like, lose your stomach. It's so massive. No one can prepare you for that. So it's it's something special. When I went there the first time, I wanted to hate that place. 
Why? Because like, you know, like it's a hundred thousand seat stadium. Like it's. I remember it's driving excessive. up. It really is. Like I remember driving up, and I was like five miles away, and I was like, "Wow!" Like I can see it from five miles away. It it's looks like, like a spaceship. It looks like the Death Star. Yes, it does. It looks like the Death Star <laughs> when you're rolling up, and then. I was like, oh, this place is going to be. And I had gone to New Giant Stadium, I think, a few weeks before that, and I hated it. Mm. Like, it really, it's in the middle of nowhere. It felt kind of cold, even though it's modern. Mm. You know, like, it has a lot of cool stuff. I just didn't, I didn't get it. And when I walked into that place, when I walked into Jerry World, I was like, this place is amazing. Mm -hmm. And it was Bears and, and Cowboys. And that day, there were probably 40,000 Bears fans. Who have made the trip because Bears fans travel. They do. <laughs> it's 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 cool. And they made it loud in there. Mm -hmm. But the place itself is really beautiful. It is. The design of it, if you were to walk around some of it too, like there's like fountains and like it's a fan Art. experience. It is. Like he he knew what he was doing with every aspect of that stadium. It it's really cool. Is there any place that you haven't been that you'd like to go to go cover a game? I can't wait for the day where I cover a game at Soldier Field because I cheered there as an Illinois cheerleader, but that's going to be because my first game ever covering in the NFL was Saints-Bears, actually. Oh. So that was really, really special. Um, it's like my first NFL game, Mercedes-Benz Superdome. I'm so far away from home. That place is also awesome. It's loud. It's loud. It is loud. <laughs> but, um, yeah, being there, I mean, but it was Bears, too. Like you said, like when it was a good game. And the Bears fans were loud. They were loyal. And I was like, man, I feel like I had the Chicago people with me in the press box. I was like, I feel like I'm like in home. Um, is there any way I'd want to go? But yes, I would say my first game in Soldier Field is going to be something that I might even shed a tear. I, I wouldn't be surprised if you did that. but and, and you should. Like those are those are milestones and accomplishments that are not easy to, to come by. And if you can have them, it's great. Like it's a great thing. Do, are you dead set on making your way back to Chicago? I'd like I part of me thinks so but now seeing a different part of the country I've I mean my heart is open to go anywhere in in this job I mean I learned that very quickly going to Louisiana I was like I'm I'm happy here in Louisiana there's so many cool things about this state that I've never seen before so I think wherever city I go next there's always going to be something that I kind of tie myself to in an identity almost of where you go but Chicago's home and I told my sister driving into the city today I was like, I feel like it's a different place every time I come here. It's so massive and so epic and so gorgeous. Like, it's I'd be lying if I said it isn't my dream to come back to Chicago. I was joking with someone the other day on how if if you had a a Cubs fan who was <laughs> on the moon for the last three years and you dropped them over on the corner of of Waveland and Clark, I don't know if they would recognize mm -mm. everything that's been done over there. And it's weird to go over there now and go. There used to be yum yum donuts and <laughs> there used to be the McDonald's right there. And now there used to be the Taco Bell. Now the Taco Bell, like it's the what what has happened, the metamorphosis in that neighborhood, I think is really cool to watch from a sports standpoint, because forever it it was it was the Cubs versus the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And now it's like the Cubs are the neighborhood. And I'm not sure if that's good or bad. I just know that. It's different, and whenever I was, I was scrolling through some pictures today, whenever I look back on, like, the Cubs winning the World Series, it's just a different place. Like, there's an a ice skating rink now mm -hmm. in front of Wrigley Field. Like, it's it's fun to see some of that change. Yes, and the construction was going on for so long over there, too. Like, that was a part of the team when, you know, Wrigley was getting renovated. Like, the fans would, you know, talk about that. And to see it, it is a completely different place. And the, the outside now, they've made it a town around that ballpark. And that is really cool to see. And the fans, you know, you can hear them singing from any which way. You know, Wrigley is a, is a cool park, a historic park. Like, they've, they've done it right over there. Would you want to, if... If it were offered for, at you for a Grambling game or a Saints game, would you still be ready to do a, a national anthem? Heck yes. That would be so fun. Oh, man. That would be awesome. I still, yeah, it would be a dream come true to sing it. Because like, now I'm thinking like the Grambling band behind you. Oh. Like in my mind, like I'm like, you with the Grambling band would be kind of dope. Hmm, that would be really cool. But that's the thing is like the Grambling band is such an epic thing by itself, right? Like, I wouldn't want to take away from them. They're that good. 
I don't know if you, I think maybe you just add you you into what they do. I think that's I'm putting that on the goal sheet <laughs> for 2019 for you for you to to, to sing with Grambling. What else do you want to accomplish? Like, because I could I could see you doing NFL games, college football games. Is is any of that appealing to you, or do you like the the anchor life of being in a community and reporting on that community? I don't not enjoy it. I, I I'm you know I'm very happy with where I'm at right now, but I mean, the sky's the limit with anything. I mean, my dream is to be in a network. You know, I, I interned at NBC Sports Chicago, and I'd love to one day you know, kind of see myself in that environment and to be in a place that only talks sports 24-7, goes to these games, you know, why not be a color analyst or, you know, try to do that one day? I think I could try to see myself doing that. You know, it'll take a lot of time. Obviously, we're still still very young and growing, but sky's the limit, man. I, I'm i willing to do kind of any aspect of this job. I, I look forward to the challenge. What's the your favorite story that you covered over the last two years? Like a player or whatever you want, what whatever you thought like really hit home or touched you when of everything you covered. There was a lot of Grambling games this year that were super just intense and emotional how their season went. But I would actually say the Bayou Classic was a very interesting experience and no one could really prepare me for it. You know, they, they tried. They said, like, okay, there's going to be a lot of people there. It's in the Superdome. Like, it's this big thing. And, you know, it's this old rivalry. You know, and, and I kind of had a little bit of an expectation. But when I was there filming, and it was different, too, because, you know, shooting highlights on the field for a game, like, when it was that crowded in the Superdome, it's different, like, being in the middle of the action in a place like that while it's happening. And just kind of the way that game went, because they pulled it. They were so close there, and I think they – Pulled it within like a three-point game coming back in like the third quarter. So kind of seeing that, and it was I was running around. I was like, oh, man, things are getting crazy. Things are getting – I got to, you know, put my seatbelts on. Like, this is going to be nuts if they win this because they were going to go to, a, you know, a championship. Like, there was just so much on the line for that game. And with the way their season had gone and the atmosphere, like New Orleans, the whole city was – lit i hate that term but it's 2019 (laughs) (laughs) bourbon street and everything around it like the place was just everyone was grambling southern fans and i just didn't expect to see that many people there for it but it was awesome how many times have you made the trip to bourbon street i've only been on bourbon once and i only i only well yeah i'm not a partier i don't drink so i don't really get good for you and it was the first time i actually had somebody with me so, because I had gone and covered a few Saints games the year before, so I had been in New Orleans a few times, but I wasn't about to go wander around Bourbon, you know, by myself. <laughs> I, I I think that everyone should do Bourbon Street once. Yes, it was in the middle of the day too. Yeah, day. which is perfect. <laughs> it was perfect for me. I, I'm a I'm, I prefer Magazine Street in the Garden District of New Orleans. It's a little bit more refined uh, than what happens on Bourbon Street, but that's that's really cool. You had joked when we we first got into the studio, or my, my buddy Rachel Staub was in here and and we were joking about taking a picture and you said, "Well, you know, you got a photographer here." Hmm. I wonder, do how do you feel about shooting and and how do you think that enhances your coverage? Well, it definitely gives you a different perspective of every aspect of the job. And too, it kind of gives you a different view of of the game sometimes too cuz like you're so focused in on, you know, what's happening play to play. It's hard like the the biggest learning curve for me was like focusing on shooting and then I take my phone and I write down plays as they happen throughout the game because, like, football's a long game, you know. So sometimes you forget little nuances that paint the picture of what happened and, you know, the important plays, like, you know, an interception maybe that didn't turn into points, but it was like, okay, but that was a defensive play that mattered, you know, and sometimes that kind of gets washed away. But shooting it, you know, you just kind of have to force yourself to focus in a different way. Um, I wouldn't say I'm the best photographer in in the world. Like, I can, you know, do it well enough to where I can shoot my own highlights, but – I would like to not have to do that one day. <laughs> I can be, imagine. To be honest with you, I, I'd like to just focus on, okay, telling the story and taking my notes and that. But uh, there's a challenge in everything, right? And I think that in the future, it's only going to make me better. And, you know, if I ever need, if I'm ever in a situation where someone needs a photo, it's like, I, I can do it. Give me the camera. I'm good to go. <laughs> what's your biggest fear at this point in your career? The unknown of what's next, I think. You know, because we're – Every reporter kind of has this this picture and this dream of what they want their career to look like. And there's just so many different things that can happen where you're like, I have no idea where my next job's going to be. You know, I um, I'm in the process now of looking and, you know, have an agent now and, you know, trying to kind of figure that out. But you just have no idea. Like 
the United States is a big place. You know, you could go West Coast, East Coast. There's just so many different ways and opportunities and routes that this job can take you in. I think that's kind of what scares me the most. It's like, just don't know. No idea what's going to wake up and, and happen tomorrow. You're as young as some of my students. And so one of the things I wanted to do with the podcast is try to get advice for students. So be me when you emailed me. So what advice would you give a young broadcaster that wants to follow in your footsteps? I would say the biggest thing for me that's been the most beneficial is just the networking part of it. One of my favorite parts of this job is meeting people. So anytime I'm at an event, I try to make an effort to look who's around me, shake hands, introduce myself, try to get people's contacts, and then follow up with them, ask them questions, say like, hey, you know, can I get your information? And then send them some of your stuff and just try to get feedback and ask, you know, just as much knowledge as you can get from other people, the better. And then something that I'm going to try to hope to do as well in the future is give that back. Cause that's something that I've heard a lot of people say is I had somebody that helped me. So we're all going to need help, you know, humble yourself. You don't know everything for sure. There's so much to know in this job. There's so many different aspects of what we try to do in the media and just meet as many people as you can ask as many questions as you can stay in touch with those people and then give it back one day, hopefully, when you're in the position to, you know, give advice instead of take it. Well, good luck to you, Jory. I, I think that you're, I don't want to get your head big, but I think that you have a chance to be a huge star. Thank you. I really do. That really means a lot from you. Really, it does. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I, I just think that you've got the right attitude on how to approach this, and it's exciting. Like, I, every time I see an update from you, I'm like, man. And she's out there really doing it. Like she is, is you, the way that you've immersed yourself in your community, I think is, um, is something that people should look at and go, that's the approach that I should take that. Even if, if one day I would, if you didn't make it back to Chicago, I have no doubt that wherever it is that you ended up, you would make it home. Like, and, and, and that comes across in the stuff that you've sent me where whether you're at a hockey arena or a high school game or the Dallas Cowboys, you feel like you're telling the story of the people of your community. And I don't think that you're looking too far too fast. I think you're, you're, you're able to work on a couple different levels where you're focused on what you're doing and you're also focused on long-term goals. And that's, that's a difficult thing for people to juggle. And there, there's also this rush sometimes of, well, I got to get out of here. I, I can't wait to get out of here. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, you've you've become a part of that community and having that community's backing when you move on to the next thing is is significant. Like there, there are people that are already rooting for you. And if you're just kind of a smash and grab type of broadcaster, you're not gonna be able to take any of that warm stuff with you. No matter where you end up next. The experience of the last two years, I think, is going to be with you for the rest of your life. And it's going to help set the next thing that you do in your career. So I, I applaud you because it's exemplary. Like, the way that you do it is absolutely exemplary. And I hope that more people, young people, follow the path that you're kind of laying out for them. So I wanted to thank you for, for being on the podcast. It's one of the reasons I wanted to get you on the podcast because I think it's a, a great story to, to tell people that you can have success and you can have success in Shreveport, Louisiana, and maybe it turns into bigger things, which I suspect with <laughs> you. But even though if, you, if it doesn't, I know that you're going to give 100% to what you're doing in Shreveport. Mm -hmm. and, and that's something that people need to learn, whatever market that they're in. I can't thank you enough for having me here. Obviously, being home in Chicago, everything that you just said like really touched my heart and I, I tr I'm trying, you know, like this is a hundred percent what I want to do for the rest of my life. I'm so passionate about it. And I was coming here today and I was like, you know, I, I don't know what you're going to ask me. You know, I was like, you know, I'm ready to talk bears. I'm ready to talk Blackhawks. I'm ready to talk bulls. No, like, I want to talk about you. Yeah. No, you're just, we're just talking about me. It's not, hopefully it's not boring people, you know, no. but uh, man, like I just, I appreciate it very much. And I just look forward to hopefully a future in a, in a bigger market and, being on your level one day please you're, you're gonna surpass me it's not even <laughs> no. close thanks for doing this thank you so much i hope you got something out of that go follow jory by the way i don't think at any point during there i i gave her a chance to 
to promote all of her social media platforms, and she's great on it. Jory Paris, her name is spelled J-O-R-I-P-A-R-Y-S. Go follow her. She, she's got cool stuff on Instagram. You can kind of see what her story is all about, and you can see, like, some of the, the stuff that we had discussed. But she's, she's doing a really great job, and I have no doubt that if her goal is to move up markets and maybe make it back to Chicago, she will have that opportunity. I, I, I think she's very talented. She's smart. She gets it. So she'll have that opportunity. But go follow her, Jory Paris, J-O-R-I-P-A-R-Y-S. And I'm sure some of you are like, Prairie Ridge in the house. Yep, that's her. That is her. So thanks to her for her perspective. And and I I thought a great, great interview and and hearing what she's going through right now. And then we, we toured around the station a little bit. And she was saying, yeah, yeah, it's a little different. It's a little different down Louisiana. Like, yes. And once you get here, there's all sorts of stuff as far as accommodations. There's also, I mean, some of it, all that glitters isn't gold too. Some of the stuff you go, it's great, but are we really getting the most out of it? Like I'm really, I'm mad that, we don't do enough with, we have a culinary kitchen studio here at the score. We did a great um, segment with Nikki Delmonico last year. Myself and Maggie Hendricks did a, did a cooking demo with him. We made churros and it was awesome. I wish we would use it. I can't remember the last time that the studio has been used. And to me, that's a shame because we got people here that like to cook. There's all sorts of tailgate stuff that we could do. Shane Reardon, who's our operations director, manager, I don't even know what his new title is, but he he cooks. Like, he cooks a lot on Twitter. And I'm like, we should just do something in the studio. I think people would dig it. Like, we could stream it live. Never mind. I just, sometimes I look at some of the facilities that we have. It's it's great that we have them, but we need to do a better job of using them. Now on to your emails. You can email the podcast at houseoflpodcast at gmail.com. And that's houseoflpodcast at gmail.com. This one is from Bill. Bill writes, Lawrence, really enjoying the podcast. I think it's a platform that plays to your strengths. You have a knack for getting guests to open up. And as a part-time sportscaster myself, I appreciate that. Don't know what your relationship with Spice Adams is like, but I think he'd make for a hilarious entertaining podcast guests nice shout out to glam doll donuts on your most recent episodes by the way people up here love that spot and i'm with you on the chocolate cake donut take got to get the basics right first that's from bill in st paul well i'm glad you're listening to st paul bill and yeah i love glam doll donuts up there in minneapolis st paul i it's i've been promising it since the the podcast started back in june and I should probably deliver on a donut episode. Now, you got a little bit of it a few episodes ago. What, an episode 43 where I'm with my students and we did like a donut taste test. But I might need to bring some, some people in and do like a or just sit around pontificating about donuts. I don't know. You, you email me and tell me what you want me to do. Like I can sit here and talk to you about my favorite places and Everyone will get mad because it's not their favorite place. And but I will tell you that it's very one simple rule, and I talked about this with the students. If I can smell the grease, I walk out. I don't want to taste grease. It's a very simple rule when it comes to donuts. There are times I wish I lived in Palatine because Spunky Dunkers is amazing. Anyway, this from Daisy, who says. Hey, I just want to thank you again for the tickets. We had a wonderful time. That's Daisy who went to the Wolves game. Shout out to the Wolves. We're going to put together an outing. So, Daisy, you're going to be invited. We're going to put together an outing where we just go and kick it at the Wolves game. We're going to get a section of House of L people and go and have a good time. I talked with them, and they they seem to be down for it. So, yeah, thanks, Daisy. I appreciate it. Adam was there, too. I appreciate you guys coming out, and and it was a 
a really, really good time. This from Alex. Alex says, Lawrence, I want to say I really love both parts of your interview with your students. I'm saving your last episode until after I've seen Spider-Verse, which will definitely be soon. I've, I've already seen Aquaman three times. Three times? And I was curious what your thoughts were, even though I know you're generally more of a Marvel guy. What the hell is that? I don't understand these people who think that I'm more of a Marvel guy than a, than a DC guy, but I'll, I'll get to that in a second. He continues, I know you didn't ask, but I wanted to say that I'm hoping you keep doing an episode every week. For me personally, if I do fall behind, I know I will catch up when business slows down because more times than not, I'm all caught up and waiting for a new one to drop, and I'm an impatient millennial. All right. All right. Yeah, I think we're going to try and keep the schedule. Like I put on New Year's Eve, I was watching episodes of Twilight Zone, and I put together a list, like my list of play, players, of players, of people that I wanted to interview, and the list got to be at like 60. And then there were people that I forgot. So I think that there's enough content for me to do one every week. And these are just people in Chicago. And and I want to I want to start branching out a little bit more into, you know, FM radio and talking with more FM people because I I really enjoyed talking with Lynn Bramer. Like I I forgot that I need to get Mary Dixon on the show cuz I really like to talk with her. She's very bright. Um so I want to I want to talk with her and a lot of the jocks at XRT, I could honestly do like a whole XRT thing. And I'd like to get Ed Lover on for obvious reasons, but he's literally down the hall. So maybe at some point I'll come in here after he's done a show and and record an episode with him. So, But yeah, I'm going to try and do once a week. Now onto this slander that I'm more Marvel than DC. My favorite superhero is Green Lantern. The name of this podcast is The House of L. So how am I more Marvel than DC? Marvel's just done a better job of making movies. DC's movies have been terrible. Everything else that they do is on point. The comics are fine. I just got the DC app, and I highly recommend Titans. It's dark. Very dark. But it's really good. I love their regular television shows. I DVR Supergirl and Flash every week. And the Green Arrow. And watch every week. It's like my favorite thing. It's the first thing that I check out. So I'm I'm not more Marvel than I am DC. I'm probably more DC than Marvel. But you can't deny that Marvel has made better movies. And I know that you saw Aquaman three times. I won't be seeing it three times. I saw it once and that's enough. I think that it belongs. Like it's one of those movies that you need to see on the big screen. I think that it's beautiful and kind of interesting, but it went from having moments that were great to moments where you're like, Oh man, that was some cornball bleep right there. I think Jason Momoa is funny the same way that Chris Hemsworth is funny. I think they're both really good actors, but it was, there was a lot of hokey that was going on with Aquaman. A lot. And if Vinny Chase isn't playing Aquaman, then I don't want any part of it. It's my final word on it. I say go see it though in the theater. This from Jeff, honestly, I'm heartbroken. Nothing more you can ask for from Mitch or the defense. Yeah, they could have stopped them at the goal line, but for Mitch to man up and hit A-Rob in clutch situation, I wanted to see out of Mitch, but for that to be taken down by a kicker, yeah, people are upset, Jeff. I do think that you can point a finger. It's not like... You can point a finger at the fact that the offense wasn't itself, didn't play well in the first half. Mitch didn't play well in the first half. Fourth quarter, he balled out, 133 passer rating, made some great plays. 
The defense could have stopped them on fourth down, and they didn't. The defense also had 10 men on the field when a touchdown was scored. That's bad. The defense got a 12-minute on the field penalty. So, yes, they only gave up 16 points, and that should be enough for you to win. Honestly, you'd write that on the board and say that's a Bears win. That's why I was afraid of them playing Philadelphia. It wasn't a great matchup because of the mirror that that team is for the Bears. But I do appreciate you emailing. I'm sad we won't have any more Bears pods unless something crazy happens in the offseason. I guess. I don't know if I'm going to turn this over. Like, I've been thinking about, like, if the White Sox sign Bryce Harper or Manny Machado or if the Cubs sign Bryce Harper, do I break in and do one? Like, I don't know. I I think we struck gold with the Bears ones. I don't know if I if I want to do it for the other ones, especially since there's some – I'll tell you that the White Sox talk podcast that is done over NBC Sports Chicago is really good. So is the Cubs talk one, which reminds me, I'm going to get Tony Andracki on the pod at some point, but I don't know. I, I don't know if you're interested in hearing from me on that, which is weird to say, considering that I host a sports show, but when it comes to the pod, I think, I think maybe for the most part, it's going to be, a little less sports until we get back to bear season, but bear season went really well. And I thank the Chicago wolves for being a sponsor of all of our coverage in bear season. So that wraps up episode 51. Hope you got something out of it. Hope you enjoyed the interview with Jory. I thought it was great. Good luck to her. She makes her way back down to Louisiana I'm sure to cover the Cowboys a little bit more, which is fantastic for her. It's great. Talk about stuff that's great to have on a resume reel. That'll work. Next week, we'll have a whole new guest. I haven't figured out who it is yet. I've had a couple of calls out. We'll see who it is, but I haven't figured it out yet. But next Wednesday, we'll have something new for you, I promise. Thanks for listening, and go back and listen to old interviews if you haven't checked them out. If you're jumping in for the first time, thank you. We appreciate you. Now go listen to some of the older interviews. Also subscribe on iTunes and leave a five-star review. That type of stuff helps. It really, really does. I'll talk to you next week. Peace.